Welcome to the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith and I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. This is episode 87 of the 2QB XP and the seventh installment of the Two A Day series. This series features two guests in each episode, typically putting people together from the same fantasy site or some other sort of connection. Uh, my goal is to share with you a whole variety of different takes on the quarterback position and quarterback draft strategy for all types of formats. We want to cover 2QB and Superflex for the most part at 2QBs.com, but we also want to just be your home for all things quarterback. Uh, 1QB, 2QB, DFS, best ball, anything that has to do with the position, we want to be there talking to people about it and you know, letting those strategies cross-pollinate between formats. Today's first guest is Mike Taglier of Fantasy Pros, and we'll talk about realistic boom and bust expectations for quarterbacks from week to week, and also the nuances of ranking players. Today's second guest is Bobby Sylvester, also a Fantasy Pros, and we'll discuss the pros and cons of value-based drafting, or VPD, and then he'll explain his rankings process. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind you that the 2QBs.com 2018 Draft Guide is now available. This is the only draft guide you're going to find that's dedicated to two quarterback formats. Visit 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com, to see everything that the guide has to offer, Today I want to highlight the 12-team Superflex mock draft that's in the guide. Mike Taglier, who's on this episode, and I drafted back-to-back in the mock. He was at 6th pick, I was at 7th. Also drafting were Pat Thorman from PFF, Renee Miller from Roto World, Matt Harmon and Scott Pianowski from Yahoo, uh, JJ Zacharyson from Numberfire, Jen Ryan from Football Diehards, Anthony Miko from Roto Curve, James Simpson from Dynasty League Football, and Josh Hermsmeyer of 4 for 4 and AirYards.com. So a really tough room to be drafted in. Mike and I had our hands full in this one. And you get analysis from each of the drafters on, you know, how the draft went for them. Um, They each, you know, answered a few questions about the mock. It's good stuff. The mock draft is just the tip of the iceberg, though, with the guide. It features 221 digital pages of content from all sorts of other great analysts. 10% of each sale is going to go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, a very good cause, very important cause. Sal and I are trying to contribute more this year than we did last year. To get your copy of the guide and to dominate your two quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com. Again, that's T-W-O-Q-B-S.com and order your copy today. Use the coupon code MOCK, M-O-C-K, and you'll get 10% off. Make sure you click proceed to checkout before entering in that coupon code. If you enter in the code on the cart screen, it's not going to work. We're trying to fix that, but until then, you have to proceed to checkout before entering the coupon code MOCK, M-O-C-K. Now, it's time to get to our guests. I'd like to welcome in Mike Taglier of FantasyPros.com to the show. Mike, it's good to have you back on. How are you doing? Oh, it's good to be on. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful time of the day. It's weird. I'm usually not recording uh, late at night, which I know most people wouldn't call this late at night because whatever reason, it seems fantasy football analysts, they seem to stay up to like, you know, two to four in the morning. Whereas me, I have a, I have an 18 month old, so I'm on his sleep schedule. So I'm typically in bed at like 10 o'clock and I'm up by like five. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be a big time night owl like back in college and like even after that for like a number of years and now I just I can't do it anymore like the job my day job has me getting up at like six every morning and, and your body clock just adjusts to it man you can't help it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually like getting up early. It just makes me feel like there's more to a day. I just get crabby at night. I, I hope I hope not to bring that on your podcast. It's it's early enough where I shouldn't be crabby. I'm pretty excited because preseason football is going on. So, well, let's see how crabby we can get you talking about quarterbacks. <laughs> I want to start off with the question I ask everybody, just kind of a broad generalization about your time in the, in the industry. What is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at Fantasy Pros and, and otherwise in the fantasy industry? 
Uh, honestly, it's it's a it's a series I actually did recently. It's it, I just released it this week. It's called the Boom Bust and Everything in Between series. And what it did is it it kind of opens people's eyes to just what they're getting out of a quarterback. And you know, like we talk about the late round quarterback approach all the time, and that the position's replaceable in one quarterback leagues and all that. But this kind of put it into into per, like percentages where people actually see there were only five quarterbacks in 2017, just five who performed as a QB1, like a top 12 performer, more than 50% of the time. So when you when you figure that out, it's like, um, and like two of them were Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz, who had astronomical touchdown rates. So when you take away those two, Alex Smith was another one. I don't know if pe- people, obviously, you know, they're drafting him as the 20th quarterback, so they don't expect him. So that leaves you with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson as the only quarterbacks that you should potentially look at, you know, drafting it as semi-early, I'll say. But outside of that, everybody's basically a streamer. Uh, some just have higher upside than others. Yeah, it actually sounds like a study I did a while back at 2QBs. I, I called it like startable quarterback percentage, where you look at like how many top 10 weeks, what percentage of weeks are top 10, what percentage are top 20 for mm-hmm. you know two quarterback formats. And yeah, the findings are pretty crazy. Like you think of these guys as elite, like guys you really want to start every week, but right. they really aren't hitting top 10 all that often. I think over the past like three seasons, only five guys have done it more than half the time, uh, finished as a top 10 quarterback week to week, uh, you know, 50% of the time it's, it's Rodgers, it's Wilson, I think it's Brady, Breeze, and Roethlisberger maybe. And I mean, Watson did it too, but he only played however many games last year. It's You're yeah. totally right. Um, how are you applying that to your draft strategy? Because I mean, just looking at last year doesn't kind of tell the whole story about any particular right. player, right? We got to look a little further back. Like, who, What other quarterbacks do you trust kind of in that elite tier besides Wilson and Rodgers? Honestly, those are the only two, because like when you look at it and when you break it down, it's over multiple years. Cam Newton throughout his career, I think we're at seven years now. Is it six or seven years uh, where there's only been two years in his career where he's been over 43 percent? So you're dealing with you have some crazy upside with Cam Newton, and that's why he's such a great best ball quarterback. But when it comes to season long, you know, when you draft someone with that high of equity, like a Tom Brady this year, for example, uh, Tom Brady was only a top five performer, 18 percent of the time last year, a, a top 12 performer, 50 percent. So when you you're spending a top 50 pick which is what it takes to get tom brady in a one quarterback league you're gonna play him every week like imagine yourself benching him for tyrod taylor people ain't gonna do that so why put yourself in the position to have the choice to do that so for me it's either rogers wilson in in that you know fifth sixth round area or bust or then i'm gonna take a quarterback much later and i you know obviously we're gonna talk about those quarterbacks today but in a general strategy that qb3 through qb12 might as well not exist to me Right, and then like QB 13 to QB 25 are all about the same too. There's a lot of very flat scoring drop in in the quarterback position. But with that said, in two quarterback, it it does matter more if your guy is hitting top 10 50% of the time versus, you know, only 25% of the time. Does a two quarterback format shift how you view the position very much? It absolutely does. And it changes things. So that's basically, you know, some people walk into it with a strategy. They're like, you know, Mike, how many quarterbacks should I expect to have, you know, through four rounds? And I said, it depends on your draft. I'm mm-hmm. never going to be the, I'm never going to be the person to pull the trigger unless, again, unless it's Rodgers or Wilson. But if those two are off the board, which they usually are because I'm, I'm taking elite running backs or wide receivers before those guys come off the board. But, you have to remain fluid with the draft. You kind of have to have to take it as it is. I've been in two quarterback leagues where I have two quarterbacks after four rounds. I've been part of two quarterback leagues where I legitimately waited and I didn't have my second quarterback till the seventh round and I was more than happy with him. Uh, so you kind of have to play it and see how the draft plays out. It really stinks when you're stuck 
on like a turn in two quarterback leagues, because if you're like sitting there at the two, three turn and there's only been five quarterbacks that have come off the board, you're like, oh, I'm going to be fine. All of a sudden there's this massive quarterback run and then you're left with, you know, you're starting Eli Manning and Andy Dalton. That's never ideal. Um, you can do it for sure and be successful uh, if those guys have a better year. But it, it's it's something I change my strategy because like in two quarterback leagues, I want to make sure I have two guys who are locked in and trenched into that starting role. There's no chance they're getting benched. And that's why I think Andy Dalton has more value than some people would think. Uh, he's not being benched. There's nobody threatening his job. Uh, Alex Smith is another one. You know, it's just like these guys are more than okay taking two quarterback leagues, whereas some people are like, oh, I want two top 12 quarterbacks. There's really no such thing. Yeah, you and I have argued about the uh, the benefits or detriments of being at the turn uh, in any sort of yeah. draft, but we don't have time to get into that now. Uh, go <laughs> check out the, the Fantasy Pros podcast uh, I did with Mike and Bobby a while back to uh, kind of dive into that. Uh, but I want to shift gears and talk about kind of your – you're in a unique position in the fantasy community working for fantasy pros. You guys do so much with rankings and, uh, you know, taking rankings from a bunch of just brilliant people from around fantasy. And I want to talk a little bit about what you were saying with, with regard to how you draft, like every draft is different. You have to see what's happening in the draft and rankings don't always reflect that. And I'm curious what you think are like the biggest misconceptions about fantasy football rankings or like the pitfalls and how they're commonly applied by people in the community. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great question. When I saw this in the show notes, I, I really liked the question because I think that, and I've tried to explain this before, but it's, it's, it's tough to grab, like to, to explain it in a way that everybody understands it where rankings and projections are two different things, right? Mm -hmm. Some, some of the rankers that are in our platform, they do it based on their projections, which is the most likely of scenarios to take place. While other guys like myself, I, I try and give you my rankings in terms of how I would draft players. And I try and do that with upside baked in, with safety baked in, because in the end, Matthew Stafford, like how many times have you heard Matthew Stafford's a QB one in fantasy football? He's been so like six of the last seven years. Yeah, while that's true, he's not he's technically not a top twelve quarterback when you when you actually break it down, as over the last three years, he's been a QB one thirty nine percent of the time. So he's not a top twelve quarterback. Like his percentages back that up. Um so it's just if I were doing projections, Matthew Stafford would be a top 12 quarterback because he's durable. He's going to play the entire season. And that's just what he is year over year. Phillip Rivers is going to be in that too. Yep. But, but at the same time, if I'm doing rankings, if someone wants to tell me that they want to take Patrick Mahomes over those guys, I have no issue with it because there's an area of unknown there. Granted, it really depends on how comfortable you are with your team. Like, I'm not drafting Mahomes because he's playing the Chargers in week one. He plays the Jags in week four. So two of the first four weeks, he's going to be like not very good. Um, so, it, there's so many things that go into it, but that's the one thing I would say is that understand the people that you are listening to uh, because there are a lot of different people. So the consensus kind of gives you the average of what people are saying, which which is fair because, you know, there's there's the projections group and then there's the rankings group. So just understand what analysts you're following and what they actually do. Uh, like ask them, do you do you do your rankings by projections or do you do your rankings by who you would draft? Yeah. And full disclosure, my rankings are similar to yours. I drew, I put players in order of how I would pick them. But even that I, I think is flawed to some extent because mm -hmm. how you draft in the first couple rounds should change how you evaluate players in the later rounds and how the people around you are drafting should also change how you evaluate players. So you can have a nice cheat yep. sheet full of rankings and it can, it can look awesome 
you know, before your draft starts. And then, like like you were talking about earlier, if you're drafting at the turn and a quarterback run happens, you might have to bump a quarterback up your overall rankings yep. to where you don't want to have to pick them, but it's just a necessary evil. And that sort of stuff, I don't think you can ever really capture with rankings. It's one of those things that's more, it has to be done more on a field basis. Do you agree? I do. And I think, and so you mentioned the overall thing. I don't do overall rankings. It just automatically spits them out when I put in my positional rankings with Mm -hmm. fantasy pros, because overall numbers mean nothing to me. Like some people tell me, like I'll hop on a podcast and they'll say, Oh Mike, this player is going at 72 overall. What do you think about him? I'm like, I don't know where set. Like, I I don't, I don't think of things like that. I, I never pay attention to overall numbers. I talk about positional value, like what, what area, like what tier. And, um, it's actually something I've been working on all week. Uh, next week I'll be releasing all of my, my, my positional rankings in tiers because I believe that's how you should draft. And, and they're set up, they're set apart. Like where if you're taking so much risk, you need someone to provide a stable floor like Demarius Thomas, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Christian McCaffrey will give you a safe floor. They're not going to win you your league, but those guys are stable floors. You have to balance out your roster. You can't just say, I'm going to draft all upside guys you're gonna lose it's going to happen because those guys are going to be really hit or miss from week to week you need some stability to provide that floor as you go through the season so uh, i i'm a big fan of drafting by tiers like even my own personal rankings i get to a point sometimes and i'm like i really just don't like this player here with the way i've constructed my team so i'm going to go a different route yeah that happens all the time Totally. Um, one of my favorite tiering systems is the one that Rich Rebar does at Lord Reeves. Uh, he specifically groups players not just by how he how many points he thinks they're going to score, but what type of player they are. Like boom bust wide receiver, you know, elite alphas, or uh, like going after strict PPR plays, grouping them all together, like Jarvis Landry. Uh, like that sort of system makes a lot of sense because that's another thing that rankings or projections have a really hard time grasping is how players score points and you have to keep that stuff in mind when you're drafting too um let's talk qbs mike uh who is 2018's most overvalued quarterback in your opinion according to adp it's got to be jimmy garoppolo or deshaun watson uh like deshaun watson i I understand why people want to draft him as high as they do but i mean guys where you're drafting him is sometimes as the number one quarterback over aaron Rodgers in some drafts that i've seen uh he essentially has to be the quarterback he was last year and and i kind of went back and looked at it his touchdowns were just so inflated like and i think we all know it by the percentage uh in terms of you know nine and a half percent touchdown rate that was second uh since the merger since uh uh, peyton manning was the only one with a higher percentage and he did that in the record-breaking season 2013 yeah, I mean, like, I don't think people realize just how impre- like insane that number is. Tom Brady's career percentage is 5.5%. So even if we go back to Tom Brady's career percentage, Deshaun Watson would have just over half the touchdowns that he had last year. And, and during that impressive stretch, he threw, he averaged 294 yards per game. So it wasn't like crazy yardage where he's like Drew Brees throwing 370 yards per game over a five week stretch. He played five good games, guys, and there were some bad defenses mixed in with that. the 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 Texans defense, the, uh, the Texans defense, was really bad last year. JJ uh, Watt's back. Their the front seven's getting healthy. Their secondary is still somewhat of a concern, but they should be better. Deshaun Watson's offensive line is so bad. Um, but the reason I, I understand why people want to draft him, it's it's again, it's that unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo. He doesn't offer you anything on the ground. Like, he's not going to run. I think he started, uh, I think we're at the point now where he started eight, nine NFL games, and I think he's rushed for like 15 yards. He's not going to give you anything on the ground. So he essentially, by drafting him as the eight or nine quarterback, which is where he's going over someone like Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger, you're essentially saying that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have better, like, 
just pure numbers, passing numbers than those quarterbacks. And I think that's crazy. Why do I think it's crazy? Because his wide receivers are being drafted outside the top 30. George Kittle averaged like less than four targets per game last year. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is added to the offense, but Carlos Hyde had 80 something targets last year. There's just, I don't, I don't, I, I don't get it. I understand wanting to believe in the player because I think Jimmy Garoppolo, what he did last year was, was really amazing in terms of coming to a team in the middle of the season, picking up the offense as quick as he did. But I don't think he has the, the, the players on the team to post the numbers of someone like Ben Roethlisberger. So I think he's the most overvalued. Yeah, and I mean, even if he does deliver on that, let's say he hits his ceiling, Garoppolo does. If that happens, it's he still might be only as good as Roethlisberger or Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan, and all those guys are going later in drafts, so like, why pay up? There's really no point. I really like that answer. Who is 2018's most undervalued quarterback? <laughs> I think this is a favorite of, among the two quarterback uh, enthusiasts, and that would be Alex Smith. Yes. Uh, Alex Smith was one of the quarterbacks who d- delivered more than half QB1 performances last year, uh, going to a Washington team where, you know, think about Alex Smith. Like, people have called him a game manager, and I get it, um, but think about where he's played. He came from Harbaugh's uh, defense in San Francisco that was lights out, carried the team. They didn't need him to do anything more than be a game manager. He was a young quarterback. Then he goes to KC. KC had a top five defense for a really long time. Uh, the scores were kept low. Andy Reid didn't feel the need to push the issue. They also didn't have the wide receivers to to even push the issue. You know what I mean? So, you know, when you look at what Alex Smith did last year, it was really impressive because he kind of showed off the quarterback that I think he can be. Uh, going to Jay Gruden, who has done some really good things with Kirk Cousins. He did some good things with RG3 that people have forgotten about. Sean McVay came from out from under him. Kyle Shanahan came from out from under him. So there's a tree here, and I think people are overlooking what Jay Gruden potentially might have done for Kirk Cousins' career. So Alex Smith going to play with Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson, who, it's okay. Jamison Crowder, I think he's going to like him a lot. The fact that Jordan, Jordan Reed is back healthy, I just feel like Alex Smith is being severely, severely undervalued. Behind Derek Carr, are we serious? So you don't have a whole lot of concern that prior to last season, Smith hadn't really put up those, you know, big time QB one type of performances like 2016. He was a top 10 quarterback, 28, 29% of the time, 2015, Mm -hmm. only 20% of the time, 2014, also only 20% of the time. Like the track record for Smith prior to 2017 kind of told us he was an average guy and you know last year he blew that out of the water are you worried at all that last year was just an outlier like that has to be at least a little concerning right it can be potentially uh but the thing is is i I think it all comes down to what he was asked to do like alex smith has just done whatever he's been asked to do wherever he goes like if you go back since 2011 he uh there's only two quarterbacks who have a higher touchdown to interception ratio than alex smith that's a lot. That's a big sample size. Those quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So, you know, like when you put him in this territory, I'm not saying that he's those guys, I'm, but I am saying that Alex Smith was an MVP candidate last year. He was that good. Um, I was one who actually used to jump on Alex Smith an awful lot, saying that he should do more. But then once you sit back and you kind of take a look at what he did last year and you're like, was I hard on this guy? Like, was I just too hard on him, like, about pushing the ball down the field? Maybe it's never what Andy Reid wanted. You know, Jim Harbaugh, we don't think that when he was in San Francisco, he may not have wanted him to. So there's so many things that kind of play into this. But the fact that Alex Smith, I I watched him so closely last year because he's one of those players that completely spun me, a complete 180 in terms of how I felt about him as a quarterback. I feel like the ceiling hasn't been seen yet. 
I mean, what he did with Tyreek Hill is, is uh, Tyreek Hill. Some people say that Tyreek Hill's the reason Alex Smith was a good deep ball passer last year. I'm not willing to go there. I think it's a combination of both of them. Um, but again, I, I think going to a Redskins team that the defense isn't elite, you know, this is a different team that he's going to, and they're going to ask him to throw the ball. And I, I think you're going to see what Alex Smith actually has. Um, but to see him, like I said, going after quarterbacks like Derek Carr is, it's, 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 it's kind of insane. Yeah. I mean, the, the point you're making here is that he doesn't need to be ranked like top five, but he, where he's being drafted is, is not correct. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's the toughest QB for you to evaluate right now? Well, this is hands down Andrew Luck, right? I mean, he's coming back. He hasn't played football in a year and a half. Um, I, I, I know we're hearing all these glowing reports, but I think we hear glowing reports about everybody. Uh, but not just that, but he's also playing in a brand new offense. So Frank Wright coming over from Doug Peterson tree. We don't know what type of offense he's going to run. We think it's going to be similar to the way Peterson ran his uh, in Philly, but we don't know. Uh, there's still a lot of unknowns here, and uh, his pass-catching core is is pretty weak outside of T.Y. Hilton. I think Ryan Grant will be a fine number two, I guess, but it's just there's no superstars here. Um, so I think he's the toughest one to evaluate. The ceiling, I think we know the ceiling's top five, um, but we also know that it's but it could happen where Andrew Luck just he just doesn't have the arm strength that he used to, and he's he's suddenly just another Matt Ryan. Yeah, I have a total blind spot for Andrew Luck. I'm totally buying all the glowing reports. <laughs> I yeah. can't oh, deny it. It's hard not to because we want to have those elite quarterbacks in the game, right? Like Andrew Luck was an ascending talent. And like even though people said he was never living up to what people expected, I was like, did you guys watch the Colts? Like in terms of the the play calling, the coaching, I think Andrew Luck exceeded my expectations over his first couple of years just because it was such a bad run football team. I'm hoping that Frank Reich actually brings some some interesting play calling to this offense because it was so vanilla. Uh, and he may do with a really bad offensive line some – some lackluster wide receivers. Um, Reggie Wayne was towards the end of his career. T.Y. Hilton, he's kind of helped build his brand. Dante Moncrief, he was just a red zone guy. Um, but yeah, I, I really do. I hope so too, man. I want Andrew Luck to be back to being like the Andrew Luck and that we can, you know, just push him into the top five quarterbacks once again. Do you find yourself drafting many of the pieces around Luck there besides Hilton? Are you looking at any of those running backs or any of those other receivers as potential values or the tight ends even? I think Marlon Mack has turned into a value where he's he slid down to. Uh, I've gotten it was like the RB thirty five off the board sometimes, Ooh. which is outside starting running back territory. And like he he's going to lead the timeshare there. It seems like it's going to be somewhat of a mess. It kind of reminds me of Jay Ajayi. It's just you don't have to pay the price that you're getting Ajayi. Uh, they're going to play the same role in the offense it seems. And Mack has big play potential. Like he's never going to be Frank Gore where he's just going to fall forward for four yards, three or four yards. That's not going to happen with Marlon Mack. He's like lightning in a bottle which is, again, something that Andrew Luck has never really had in the backfield. So um, I'm excited to see him. He just doesn't cost so much. You're not risking a whole lot. Um, but I am, in best ball, taking a ton of Ryan Grant. Uh, he's free. Like, I say free because you could take him in the last round. You could pick what round you take him in, and you get him there, and he's going to have – people forget that Dante Moncrief was being drafted as a, a top 30 wide receiver for multiple seasons. But Ryan Grant all of a sudden is the number two option, and nobody's drafting him. I don't get it. I'm in a best ball draft right now with some of the folks from 444.com, and we're in those late round stages, and I was just looking for kind of a wide receiver with upside, and you know how sometimes like you make a pick, and you and you talk yourself into it, you're like, yeah, this feels correct for the time, and then the person immediately after you takes somebody else, um, in this case it was TJ Hernandez taking Ryan Grant after I took Geronimo <laughs> Allison, I was like... God, I took the wrong guy. Because, I mean, with with Allison, like, I like the situation. I like Aaron Rodgers, of course. But 
I just don't, as a player, like him as much as is Ryan Grant. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying Ryan Grant's anything great, but it was one of those moments where right. I just slapped myself in the forehead and like, oh my god, I just should have scrolled down a little bit further in the draft list. That killed me. Honestly, those might be my two high, most highly owned wide receivers in best ball. Geronimo Allison and Ryan Grant. You're making me feel a lot better about the pick, Mike. I appreciate that. No, I, I love Allison. Like, I, I swear, like if, if Randall Cobb's ankle is not right, which he had surgery on it, and if we've learned anything about pass catchers, if they have foot surgery or ankle surgery, it's not a good thing, Like especially during the same exact year that they're about to play. And he had it during the offseason, but still, it's a, it's a short turnaround. He's had pain in camp. Devontae Adams is a stud, but he's also going to see some top-tier cornerbacks. Geronimo Allison, they're saying that he was running with the first-team offense tonight. Um, Geronimo Allison has experience with Aaron Rodgers, and if you pay attention, like people are expecting Jimmy Graham. I mean, look at Martellus Bennett last year. He was drafted in this, or around the same range that Jimmy Graham is going, and, and Martellus Bennett, Aaron Rodgers is, is a very timing-based quarterback. Like he's so precise, and if you do not get in sync with Aaron Rodgers, you're not going to get the, like you're not going to produce. Um, and I think that's why Devonte Adams. It took a little bit for him to develop into the the superstar that he's become. Um, Jordy Nelson obviously had a connection with Aaron Rodgers in the back shoulder throws. Geronimo Allison has played with him for a couple of years now, whereas Jamon Moore, uh, Equinemia St. Brown, and all these guys that are trying to compete for that spot, none of them have ever played with Rodgers before. So I think Allison is an awesome – I'm not saying in weekly he's going to be uh, you know, an every week wide receiver three or anything, but he's going to give you some weeks in best ball for sure. Yeah, continuity is one of the most underrated things when it comes to evaluating players and their roles in offense. Mm-hmm. Like you want the guys who have been there with the QB. That that matters. I mean, talent matters too. Don't get me wrong, but it, there's a there's a sliding scale there. Uh, let's talk about where you're drafting QBs tags in a one quarterback league. What's the typical price point at which you start to consider drafting the position? I've taken Aaron Rodgers in like I've done, I've done it in best ball sometimes. I've done it in analyst league sometimes where I'll take him at late fourth, early fifth. Uh, I'm okay with Rodgers there. I'm okay with Russell Wilson in the sixth. But after that, if I don't get one of those two guys, I'm 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 more than okay waiting. And I will end up with usually a lot of the time in a one quarterback league, I'll end up with someone like Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Alex Smith is one of them I'm getting. Patrick Mahomes seems to go higher than I'm willing to take him. I don't I, I don't hate the pick because I think the ceiling is there. But again, if I can't use him for two of the first four weeks, like what am I doing? So. Uh, yeah, Alex Smith and Mitch Trubisky, those are the ones that I'd probably end up with on most of my teams, or maybe like a Phillip Rivers. Yeah, Mahomes is like the epitome of a best ball quarterback to me. He's a guy who's going to have some huge weeks, and then yep. he's probably going to have some clunkers too. And I love him in best ball, but in redraft, like seasonal leagues, where I have to like lean on starting him, especially in two quarterback, like I'm a little more wary. Um, so in two quarterback leagues, how quickly are you jumping into the QB position? Not very. Um, like like I said, so if I have a pick in the first half of the first round, I'm getting one of the top five running backs or, or Antonio Brown. Like that's just happening. Uh, and usually, most of the time, Aaron Rodgers is off the board by the time that happens. Uh, but if you have the back end of the first round and you know Rodgers or Wilson falls to you, I'm okay with taking them there. But again, if I don't get one of those two guys there at the end of the first round, I am going to wait, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna see how the draft plays out in front of me, and I will I will take a quarterback to where I feel comfortable. Um, you know, in terms of who, like, what's the lowest starters in QB, uh, in a two, two QB league, what I feel comfortable with? I'd want one that presented some upside, but had safety, like, like a, like a Trubisky. I feel like he's, I, I think people underestimate his floor in terms of what he can do rush, running the football. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I think Andy Dalton is a safe two QB quarterback. Uh, again, the offense took a step back last year, but he's never finished worse than a, a number 18 quarterback. So it's like, you know, you're getting some stability there. You know, he's not getting benched. He's pretty durable, which is always good. 
I am just so okay with like quarterbacks, unless the scoring is different where you're getting like, you know, the six point passing touchdowns, four point interceptions, things like that. Outside of that, like, honest to God, like, I just feel like that you said it before, the QB 12 through the QB 25 might as well be the same guy because it's just, you're going to mix and match. They're going to have ups and downs and almost none of them are going to finish as a QB one more than 50% of the time. So the rest of your lineup is what's going to make the difference. Is there a quarterback you wish you could draft more often? Like somebody who you feel like you've just missed out on a bunch of times in your draft so far? Anybody like yeah. that? Yeah, it's Mahomes for sure. Um, because like up to this point, it's been a lot of best ball leagues that I've played in. Uh, all the redraft leagues are going to start happening over the next couple weeks. So I'll, I'll see where those go. Uh, but in terms of best ball, it's Mahomes. Just because I would like to get a piece of it because I, I, I do understand the potential with his bad defense with the, you know, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. There's just so many weapons there and Andy Reid calling plays. He's just, he's a really good play caller. He's really good. Uh, so I would like to have more Mahomes, but again, in best ball, typically I'm seeing him go like in the leagues that I've been in for whatever reason. It seems like he goes as like a top 12, top 13 quarterback. And it's just, it's like just outside the range of where I want to, where I want to take him. Do you have a favorite backup QB? Maybe somebody who, like, you secretly like that if, you know, the starter got injured, you'd be maybe secretly excited to pick up off the waiver wire in a two-quarterback format? Or just someone you think might benefit from a change of, change of scenery? Baker Mayfield, 100%. Um, Baker Mayfield, I, I already have him as a top-12 dynasty quarterback. I'm not scared at all. Um, you know, like, when people compare him to Johnny Manziel, I, I tell people, if, if anybody tells them, if anybody tells you that he's Johnny Manziel 2.0, Tell, like, don't ever listen to their football opinion again, because <laughs> I've watched these quarterbacks at nauseum. Uh, Baker Mayfield is he's a baller like he, he like I understand that he's got some off the field stuff that people don't like. I understand that the type of competitor that he is, that some people get rubbed the wrong way. And that's fine. But when his teammates go to bat for him all the time, like his teammates have his back. That's all I really care about. Um I don't like the fact that Hugh Jackson's still calling the plays there, but I mean, bringing Todd Haley in, maybe it's him admitting, I can't call plays anymore. I need someone else to come in and do this. As a head coach, it's just different than what I thought it would be. If that's the case, then awesome, because Todd Haley, I talked to J.J. Zacharyson on our podcast about this, and he said that Todd Haley, he's going to make some stupid decisions, but ultimately, he's going to get the most out of his players. Um, so Todd Haley, you know, if, if the Browns' offense was anything, you know, they looked really good uh, for the first half that I watched tonight. Uh, so again, Baker Mayfield, hands down, easy. Like if you're picking a backup quarterback, it had better be him. Yeah, I don't even know how long he's going to be the backup there. I mean, we know. I mean, they picked him first overall. He's going to get in there eventually. It might not be right away this season. It might not be towards the end of the year. But this is a Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith situation in Cleveland. Like we're going to see Baker Mayfield starting for the Browns next season and perhaps even a little bit this year. Mike, great stuff, man. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position before we go? No, man, this is fun. I mean, like, it, it just got to the point in this offseason where it's like, man, let's just, let's just see some games. Like, I'm just, I'm to the point now where it's like, an, enough with the talking. I want to see it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it, I, I, I feel like I've said the same stats like 200,000 times this offseason, and I probably have, but um, I'm ready, man. Yep, it's, it's time, and once the regular season starts, we'll have all sorts of new stats to start throwing out there. I can't wait. Before we go, say something nice about this episode's other guest, Bobby Sylvester. Oh, man, Bobby. He's a, he, Bobby, I can say this. Bobby is tr a truly great guy. Um, he's the best host that I've ever worked with. Um, he does an hey. awesome job hosting our podcast. Come on, I, I love, I'm right I here. I love you, Greg, but Bobby's my dude. Um, and <laughs> So I'll also say this. Bobby has three kids, and he looks like he's 12 years old. So his boyish looks are also nice. That's something nice about him. 
Good deal. Well, listeners, follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. Let's get to Bobby. And now I'd like to welcome in Bobby Sylvester of FantasyPros.com. Bobby, good to have you back on the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you for taking the time to have me on. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to have you back on. Uh, I just talked to Mike Tags, your podcast partner, earlier uh, tonight, and uh, we went through a lot of this quarterback stuff. I'm going to start you off with the same question he got and the same question everybody gets at the top of this this uh, series. What's the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at Fantasy Pros? I'll tell you what, I've gotten really into value-based drafting, and I'm actually doing a segment that I'm starting on it. Um, talking about the holes in value-based drafting because it's not perfect and it can be improved. With that said, um, value-based drafting, for those of you who don't know, it takes your quarterback or any position, your say Aaron Rodgers, and compares him to the QB 13 or in two QB leagues, the QB 25, whereas VBD is significantly higher. Now you look at what Aaron Rodgers has done throughout his career and every single year that he has not broken his collarbone or had his star <laughs> wide receiver gone. You know, he's been a top two quarterback, but we're talking about VBDs in each of those seasons over a hundred. That's a top 12 overall fantasy player. And this is a guy who's being drafted in standard leagues outside of the top 30. And I understand the weight on quarterback idea, but if I can get Aaron Rodgers in the third round at the end of the third round, I'm pulling the trigger. Yeah, he is one of the true difference makers at the quarterback position. So even in a two-quarterback league, I would never fault anyone for taking him in the first round or even first overall. If that's the way you want to start building your team, you sure. can win that way, right? You can draft Aaron Rodgers first because you're going to have to find value somewhere at some point later in the draft. Me, I'm a late-round QB guy, so I prefer to try to find that value at quarterback later in the draft, but I I usually am, and I wouldn't go as far as saying draft him first overall in a in a you know two QB league. I would take him maybe fifth behind the big four running backs, mm -hmm. but that's still stretching it for me because you can win with Rodgers, but you can definitely win with Todd Gurley. Totally, and that's the whole point. Is there are a lot of different ways to win? And I'm actually excited that you've kind of gone down this rabbit hole because almost all of the people I've had on the series so far have really, you know, steered into that late round quarterback mantra. And sure. I mean, I, like I said, I tend to preach that on the show too. And it's, it's a very good and viable baseline strategy. That doesn't mean it's the only way to win. And that's something that I really do want to impart through this series is that, you know, there are a lot of different viewpoints on this stuff. And if you, again, if you pick the right players, you can, you can win. Let's dig in a little bit more to the value-based drafting that you've been looking at. Have you ever played around with the baselines? Like instead of looking at, you know, QB 12 or QB 24, like trying to find other sorts of tier breaks at the position, either based on like typical scoring or typical draft position of these guys. Have you played around with that at all? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm working on right now is that, you know, I don't think value-based drafting should be based on, you know, the entire year because it's different. Tom Brady was only, I'm sure Tags told you this stat, Tom Brady was only a, a QB 1 50% of the time. You're right. I mean, so you can go on the waiver wire in a standard league and pick up somebody, Andy Dalton in week one, for instance, that I think is likely going to be better than most of the quarter, half the quarterbacks who are being drafted as QB ones. And so, you know, I, I don't think that it's necessarily fair to just say QB 13 is the cutoff. There's usually 18 quarterbacks owned in a league. So you're looking at a streamer. It's got to be a quarterback 19. You've got to go back to Dalton. You've got to go back to Mitch Trubisky or last year, somebody like Jared Goff. And so, you know, I think that value-based drafting shouldn't be based on QB 13. It should just be based on, you know, who is available in your league. What is the actual streamer line? Yeah, and well, and that point you make about just week to week production versus season long production is very important too. Like VVD yes. has some holes there as well, right? 
Bingo. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Whereas, you know, you can look at what Frank Gore did two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And this isn't, this isn't a quarterback, but Frank Gore was the, the running back 12 that year. And if you look at what he did from week to week, he was like two, three points above most of the weeks there. And then you look at Bilal Powell, who only played, he only started four weeks, but in those four weeks, he was better than the streamer. 40, 48 points better than the streamer in those four weeks combined. And that's about where Frank Gore was over the entire season. Yeah, it's crazy. I want to steer a little bit more towards your work at Fantasy Pros. Uh, I talked a little sure. bit about this with Mike, but rankings are, are kind of a tricky business, right? There's value in them for sure. They're a very useful tool, but they're not the be-all, end-all of draft strategy. And Fantasy Pros kind of amalgamates all these different analysts. And I'm wondering how their input might affect your process. Do you find value in looking at other analyst rankings as like a sort of sanity check for your own? Not until August. And uh, the reason I say that is because I want to let it kind of sort out. Until mm -hmm. August, what I'm doing is I'm bouncing my ideas off everybody else, and I'm learning, oh, man, maybe I should actually be valuing Jimmy Garoppolo higher than I was. Because I, you know, I thought he was kind of uh, being way overdrafted, and he, and he still is, but mm -hmm. I had him down at 18. I've got him at 14. And so my rankings kind of settle in around August, at which point I think everyone else's rankings are probably settling. And at that point, I'll look at what Jake Seeley, Scott Pianowski, Sean Corner are saying. You know, the top, the consistent, most accurate experts on quarterbacks. And um, if I'm way off on somebody, like say, you know, I've got um, I've got Deshaun Watson extremely low. If they're all really high in Deshaun Watson, I'm going to be questioning myself and then going out and reaching out to those guys and saying, OK, what are you seeing that I'm not? Right. Now, Mike brought up another interesting point in that he ranks how he would draft, not really necessarily based on projections. What's your approach there? I rank based on how I would draft, and then right before the contest starts, the very day before when nobody else is using my rankings, then I will base it based on, you know, I will, I will change my rankings based on, you know, how I think they will finish. Then that makes sense because you're trying to win that accuracy contest or finish. And I don't, I don't know possible. if Tags does that. So Tags probably would have beat me in the accuracy ranking last year if he had done that. But I did that, and I think that helps out a little bit. Yeah, I have a hard time resolving that too because I, I mean, I want to be viewed as an accurate analyst on Fantasy Pros and just you know anybody who's looking at my rankings either in the two QBs draft guide or wherever. But I also do want. I'd rather play into that idea of how are you actually going to draft a team. Uh, yeah, because that's important. I think that's the way most people still play. Uh, and I think that matters like Big Ben. Big Ben's probably a top eight fantasy quarterback in terms of who I would like the most. Now, where am I going to rank him in this? Well, he consistently finishes outside of the top 12, usually around 14, 15, 16, because he misses several games every year. He's injury prone. So, yeah, I'll bump him back for that. That's an example. So how is your process affected when an analyst that you trust, like, say, Jake Steely or Sean Corner, Sure. What if one of those guys has a drastically different take on a player than you do? You kind of mentioned this. I, I mean, are you are you trying to equilibrate fully to them? Are you just bringing them back a little bit? Uh, do you like overshoot? Like what would I guess it probably varies from player to player, but kind of run us through your thought process there. I will never look at somebody else's rankings and just say, well, they're smarter than me. And so I'm going to change my mind based on that. Now, I, I do think Sean Corner is smarter than me. I do think uh, Jake consistently finishing up there yeah. is just better. He's better at this than me. With that said, I have my takes for a reason. I want to ask them why. And if I don't like their process, you know, I chew up the watermelon. I spit out the seed. Um, you know, that even Sean Corner has stuff that I will disagree with. Now, typically, he comes on our show and he talks about it and he talks me into a player. Right. But um, there's certain players like I, I can't possibly see him changing my mind on Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz. I'm open minded to changing my my rankings on everybody. But I've got those guys really low for a reason. 
Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the real fact of the matter is, is that even as good as those guys are, they're still going to be wrong sometimes about some players. And sure. if you're the person, Bobby or me, Greg, is the person who is correct on that player, that can you know be the difference between like how close I finish to you know those guys who are always at the top of the rank. It's like we're probably never going to catch them, but you know if we are, it's going to be by outsmarting them on the players that they have blind spots for, right? Exactly. Yep, that's exactly right. All right, let's talk quarterbacks. Who is 2018's most overvalued QB? There's two of them, and I can't decide which one to say here. Deshaun Watson, he's going ADP number two at quarterback. Some people are taking him over Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about somebody coming off a major surgery. He's got a horrible offensive line. He had a 9.3% touchdown rate, and I share this stat on the podcast, I don't know, probably five or six times this season because I just don't want anyone to draft Deshaun Watson that listens to my show. 9.3%. If you regress that back to Tom Brady's career 5.5 rate, which is, you know, that's a lot lower. That's almost cutting in half. And that would be to say that Deshaun Watson is as good as Tom Brady. That's kind of crazy, too. Deshaun Watson would have finished as the quarterback seven. So we're talking about somebody who everyone's super excited about this tiny five-game sample size. And really, it was just inflated by high touchdown rate. And if you want to talk about small sample sizes, Blake Bortles was the QB2 over a five-week sample size. Does that mean we're going to fawn over him? I'm not buying this. I think he's got a nice floor because of his legs, but I've got Deshaun Watson as my QB7. And then Carson Wentz, I mean, he's got the injury going on right now. Who knows? I don't think he's going to play in the preseason. Who knows how soon he's going to play? And again, the high touchdown rate. So I've got him substantially lower, too. I won't be drafting him this season. Yep, that's been those have been two recurring names, and it really does have a lot to do with those overinflated touchdown rates from 2017. People just really love last year's stats. Like recency bias is one of the the biggest crutches for fantasy players out yeah. there. Who's the most undervalued quarterback to you right now? Uh, the most undervalued, well, it was Jameis Winston before the suspension, <laughs> right? I was super pumped about Jameis Winston. I got him in every best ball league. Fortunately, draft gave us our money back for that, but. Um, for me, it's Alex Smith. Right now, I've got Alex Smith all the way up in my top 10 quarterbacks. He was the fourth quarterback in fantasy last season. Now, he only threw 505 passes. Yeah, he had better weapons in Kansas City than Washington. I still like his weapons in Washington. Don't forget how good Jordan Reed was. I think Jamison Crowder is going to be solid. Josh Doxson, great. Love him. Um, so I think Alex Smith will finish in the top 10 again. And he's going to get more than 505 passes this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they bump him up to 540. 550. I mean, you remember Rich Gannon was pretty much just a lousy quarterback in the NFL, worse than Alex Smith has been his whole career. And then he got an opportunity through 550 passes, eventually 600, won an MVP, won the Super um, went led his team to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying Alex Smith will win an MVP, but I'm saying he is this kind of passer, and if he gets the opportunity, he's going to excel. Well, Alex Smith is definitely the 2QBs.com MVP, so I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Love but- it. I do worry that there is, like, that recency bias that I just brought up. Like, we could be blinded by that with Smith's 2017 stats because he was amazing last year after, you know, a few kind of mediocre seasons in a row, even in Kansas City with some similar weapons. Um, His ADP right now is 20. (laughs) Right. I I don't understand how people are expecting him to drop from 4 to 20. And that's the point. The price is still right. Who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate right now? Well, for two quarterback leagues, it's Case Keenum. I can't, I can't get a finger on him. I don't know what's going to happen there in, in Denver. The offensive line wasn't great last year. They made some improvements. Demarius Thomas has been solid as always, but Emmanuel Sanders looked like he was over the hill last year. Jake Butt, who knows what we're going to get out of that, the, the running back situation. And then Case Keenum losing Pat Shermer. I think that's the big thing. So I could see Case Keenum performing like a top 15 quarterback. 
I could also see him performing like he's being drafted, QB 27. So I don't know what to do there. Do you have any advice, Craig? Yeah, I mean, he's a player who I like because he's so cheap. I, I think that's kind of the, the main selling point with him. But you're right. Like, the situation is worse. The receivers are worse. The offense is probably worse, like, schematically. There, there's a lot to be worried about with Case Keenum, especially because just like Alex Smith, he kind of came out of nowhere to do it last year. And was he overperforming last year based upon, you know, the great situation that he was in? It's entirely possible, and I have a lot of fear of that. But you really don't have to pay last year's price for Case Keenum. He's still super affordable. I think he's fine where he's going. I have him ranked probably a little bit higher than maybe the consensus. I'd have to check, but I, I would probably rather have him just based on the potential upside than, say, like Eli Manning, just because I think, you know, Keenum's still younger, like there's still room for improvement there, um, or like Ryan Tannehill, who's coming off an injury. Blake Bortles, Derek Carr, that's like, those are the three guys, Carr, Keenum, and Bortles, that I have a really hard time differentiating between. And, and I think they're kind of in their own, like, nebulous chair. Like, they could all finish in that QB, like, 13 to 18 range, and I wouldn't be surprised, but I have them ranked in, like, from QB 23 to QB 25. It's it's just because there's so much unknown with all those guys and like how, how much they're going to yeah. have to throw and all that. So it's a very, very interesting situation. I've got Keenum at 21 ahead of Mitch Trubisky. And I think Keenum has as much potential, much upside as Mitch Trubisky this year. And Trubisky's flying up the ADP, right? Um, but no one's really given Keenum his fair shake. We're hoping Trubisky performs like Keenum did last year. Right. And I mean, those guys are all in the same tier for me. It's basically from like Trubisky down to Tannehill, like QB 21 to 27, like kind of take your pick, man, throw some darts, look at some things like early season schedule to make your decisions or bye weeks, honestly, like to make sure you're not overlapping because any one of those QBs could hit and, yeah. and they're all going to be usable because quarterbacks generally are, it's a flat scoring position. Where is the typical price point where you start to consider drafting quarterbacks, Bobby? And let's start with one QB leagues. Uh, where are you jumping in? If I can get Aaron Rodgers at pick 33, I'm doing it. Unless somebody you know that I have above him will drop, and, and likely that's the case. So I wouldn't mind grabbing Aaron Rodgers in the late third, early fourth round. Besides that, I'm not taking my quarterback until ninth round. If Andrew Luck's there, awesome. If he's not there, I will wait until the end of the draft and take Alex Smith. Two quarterback league, like I said, Aaron Rodgers, I'll take him five overall. I'm not taking anyone else in the first round. Uh, I probably wouldn't take another one until the fifth round, at which point I'd be looking at Matt Ryan, Alex Smith, Jameis Winston. Um, and my very last quarterback that I would take as a QB2 is probably Sam Bradford. I'm a believer in Sam Bradford. He's got the best quarterback rating in his last 16 games of anyone in the NFL. And how far back to those 16 games stretch? Yeah, they did, they do well. They stretch back to uh, to 2016 because he played he played all 16 games in 2016, and then in week one of 2017 he was awesome. Yeah, I totally agree that he's a little undervalued just because everyone thinks he's going to get hurt right away, and we have no way of knowing that injuries are so difficult to predict. I'm curious as to what you would do in the first round. Let's say you had the sixth pick, and the first five picks were those four big running backs and Aaron Rodgers. What are you doing at pick six in that scenario? At pick six, it's really tough between Saquon Barkley and Antonio Brown for me. Now, it depends on the league. Full PPR, yeah, I'm going Antonio Brown. Half PPR or standard, I'm going Saquon Barkley. He's going to get 350 touches. He looked electric on his first preseason carry tonight. I uh, saw that. We're not going to publish this episode till next week, but everybody will know about how awesome Saquon looked. Uh, I, I only saw it on Twitter. I haven't been watching any of the games, but he really did look like a feature back on that play. We've seen a lot of like really young running backs kind of stepping up in these early preseason games. Joe Mixon looked really good, but 
I'm getting off track here, man. We're talking about running backs. This is a quarterback <laughs> show. So you mentioned like the worst quarterback you'd be willing to have as your QB two. How about as your QB one? Like how long are you looking to wait for that spot in your lineup? Alex Smith. I mean, I've got him in. I've got him in sixty percent of my leagues probably that are QB one. And uh, he's being, like I said, he's being drafted ADP 20. Now I'm taking about 14 just to make sure that I get him instead of being stuck with someone like uh, Pat Mahomes or, uh, you know, somebody later than that, Marcus Mariota, who's just, they're both big question marks. I don't think Smith is a question mark. So I don't mind having him as my QB one or really Andy Dalton. Can we just say like, I would use Andy Dalton in week one in a standard one quarterback league. No, I'm not going to keep him for week two, but I've been drafting him as my quarterback one a lot. Who's the quarterback that you find yourself shying away from? You mentioned question marks, like maybe a player who has a lot of question marks in your mind that you can see the upside for and you're, you'd be willing to draft him. But for whatever reason, you keep on passing on him in favor of other players. I would say, I would say Mariota probably, right? Because Mariota had the stretch where he was eight weeks. He was the single best quarterback in football in 2016. Now, I understand the schedule was a little bit weaker. He was playing in warmer weather while a lot of other people weren't. With that said, he's got this kind of upside, and last year he was just dreadful. They improved the offensive line. They got him some weapons. Corey Davis is healthy this year. He's got Deion Lewis going on. So I could see Mariota having a big season. I could see him just being a total bust again. Yeah, he's a guy I'm pretty high on. I'm, I'm optimistic, but the Richard Matthews injury does worry me. I'm not not really liking where that's putting him because if they can start to like really lock down on Corey Davis, you know, as a younger receiver, I think it takes those guys a while sometimes. And I do think that he's extremely talented and a very yeah. like I'm buying the Corey Davis hype as well. But that is my big concern is that if there isn't that second receiver to keep defenses honest, that maybe that could restrict that offense to some extent. But I mean, they still have Taewon Taylor. They still have Delaney Walker, Deion Lewis out of the backfield. Like, I think they'll probably be fine, even if Matthews is dinged up or, you know, has to miss a couple of games to start the year. But I'm a little bit more optimistic on Mariota than you are. What quarterback just kind of overall do you find yourself drafting the most often this season, Bobby? It's Smith. It's Alex Smith. And behind him, I would say that it is Andy Dalton. Now in two quarterback leagues, I've got a ton of Jameis Winston still because, right, he's going to come back and he's going to come back after three weeks. He only played 13 games last year. And if you take his 11 game, he played 13 games, but he got hurt in two of them. Mm -hmm. If you take his 11 healthy games and prorate them to 16 games, 4,900 passing guards. Yeah, he's an interception machine, but this is a guy who's just he puts the ball in the air and he gets the he gets the job done yeah you know who else is an interception machine Deshaun Watson so you're right I'm totally with you on Jameis I think he's you said you you thought he might be the most undervalued I think he is still very undervalued because people are overreacting to the suspension like the early weeks of the season are the easiest times to get around that because there are no bye weeks you can find yeah. another QB to start it might just be Ryan Fitzpatrick if you like are really scraping the bottom of the barrel or Josh McCown I'd be fine there you, you get Josh McCown for four weeks you're golden Yep. Which quarterback do you wish you could draft more often? Like a guy who you you like, but always seems to go just like right before you're ready to pick him. Um, I tend I tend to find myself reaching for the quarterbacks that I, I believe in. Like most people, they have, um, you know, tiers, and they're like, well, I'll just take whichever one falls. Not me. I, I feel I feel strong about Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, Alex Smith, and so I'm willing to take them above their ADP. And um, so there's really no quarterback that I wish I could get more of. I guess I would say Drew Brees um, because Drew Brees is always sitting there and I'm like, man, if he drops one more round, I think I have to take him. And then he doesn't drop. But 
Um, I'd be happy to, I'd be really happy to get Drew Brees. I mean, he had his most efficient season of all time, right? Yeah, yards per attempt, career mark, completion percentage, NFL record. Um, so if, you know, if his touchdown rate comes up, I think he'll be top five once again. I think it's coming back up. Do you have a favorite backup QB? Maybe somebody who you think, like, could be surprisingly good if the starter in front of him gets injured or, you know, if, you know, he got traded to some team who was quarterback needy. Like, is there a backup that you like? I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I love Stephen Morris. Stephen Morris has a rocket for an arm. He's fast. He's looked dynamic in preseason when he's got the opportunity last year and, and even the year before. And uh, he keeps, you know, shuffling around teams. Eventually, I think he's going to get a chance to play. Maybe it'll be in, in the Canadian Football League, but wherever it is, this guy, I think, could be uh, the type of player who, you know, becomes a starter. And everyone's like, how was this guy not a starter for so long? And then for Dynasty Leagues, I love Alex Mago that the Seahawks just drafted. This guy, again, has a big old arm. And if anything was to ever happen to Russell Wilson, I'm not sure if he would be the guy that would step in right away. But eventually I could see him turning into a, you know, a very solid NFL quarterback for a long time. Give me a, a little bit more of your take on dynasty football, especially at the quarterback position. Like, what's your approach to QB in a dynasty league? In a dynasty, well, in any dynasty league, I'm always trying to win this year. I'm never that guy who's like, let's blow it up and start over. If you're trying to win this year, you're one of six guys who are doing it. You're going to make the playoffs. You're going to be able to pick people apart and say, you know, well, Robbie Anderson's having a nice year. Can I trade you a third round pick for him? And someone's going to say, well, yeah, I just want the draft picks. I'm done with this year. And then Robbie Anderson ends up being nice. So um, I am never rebuilding with that said. I mean, you've got 28 spots in most leagues. Yeah, I've got I've got plenty of Mason Rudolph, right? Um, I, I own five quarterbacks in those 28 uh, player leagues, especially when it's super flex. Um, well, only when it's super flex. Otherwise, I'm not sure, owning yeah. five. But, <laughs> Um, you know, you want as many options as possible because one of these guys is going to break out. I love Mason Rudolph, so I think it's going to be him. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's Deshaun Kaiser, if he gets an opportunity in uh, in Green Bay and shines. Remember how young he is. He can run the ball as well. I think he'll improve and uh, maybe he gets a shot with a different team as a result. So I, I want some shares of, of lots of guys like that, the high upside guys. I love all these deep cuts you're giving me at QB. Stephen Morris, man, that's going to make my partner Sal so, so happy. He loves Stephen Morris, too. He's so. the best. He's going to see guy. that little tag on the post for this podcast, and he's, you know, a smile is just going to show up on his face. It'll be great. <laughs> Bobby, do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position before we go? Baker Mayfield, man. He is going to be a superstar. I'm not saying that because I watched the game tonight. I mean, I know he did well. I didn't watch the game tonight. But watching him in college, this kid is so special. If you can get him in a dynasty league or even as your third quarterback and just wait until he gets the job, I like Tyrod. But Baker's going to be special, especially throwing the ball to Njoku, Landry, Josh Gordon, all these guys. I think I was beating the drum the last time I came on your show about how as much as Hugh Jackson wanted Tyrod, wanted to say that Tyrod was, Tyrod was going to be the starter there, like the writing is on the wall. When you take a QB number one overall, that guy's going to play. And I think we're going to see Mayfield sooner rather than later. Do you think he's going yeah. to be in there week one? No. No, I don't think he's going to be in there until week 10 or 11. Wow, you really I think that? they've got their buy in week 10, but uh, I think Tyrod is... They're gearing up. They've got him ready to go. Same with, uh, I was going to say Frank Gore. Uh, same with Carlos Hyde. I think they're just going to run them both into the ground and see what they have this year and then let the rookies loose let next year. All right. Well, we'll see, man. I think I'm on the other side of the Mayfield versus Tyrod debate, but that's why this stuff is fun. We get to yeah. wait, wait and find out. Um, before we go, say something nice about Mike Tagliere, your podcast partner and this episode's other guest. 
I've got so many nice things to say about him, man. He is just such a great guy. Um, you know, I was always telling the people at Fantasy Pros, like, I think this is the hardest worker in the industry. I love talking to him. He's just a genuinely great guy, and his takes are awesome. I learned so much from him every time that I talked to him. And so they went out and got him. They didn't tell me they were going to do it, and they went out and got, signed him, and brought him on full time. And I'm so pumped. And, you know, the more I've worked with him, the more I've learned he's even better than I thought. So he's just an all-around awesome guy and great expert. Great stuff, man. Well, hey, thank you again for taking the time to come on the pod here. It's It's been great talking to you about football, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Greg. And that does it for today's Two a Day here on the 2QB Experience. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please, pretty please. Be sure to follow Mike Taglier on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL, as well as Bobby Sylvester at Bobby Fantasy Pro. Check out the show description for links to their work and head over to 2QBs.com to pick up your copy of our 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide. You can follow the site on Twitter at 2QBs and me at Greg Sauce. Whether you're tweeting at us, emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com or typing in the URL, spell out 2QBs with letters, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Thank you all for listening very much. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.